Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As some of you might know, I co-led a pilgrimage of 43 people to the Holy Land this past October. It was my third time there, and many of the places on the itinerary were places that I had been before, but I still looked forward to going again. I mean, who can resist sailing on the Sea of Galilee and walking through the hilly streets of Nazareth, hiking through the Judean desert, visiting Jerusalem and all the holy sites there, and of course, visiting the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. All of it was great, spiritually uplifting, continuously revealing, always trying to live into the mystery of how the presence of the living God chose to interact with human beings and redeem them in real time. Amazing. And while the pilgrimage was primarily focused on tracing through the footsteps of Jesus, God had a plan, a plan to push us to dig deeper into the story, to see a broader, a broader perspective of what Jesus' world was actually like, what challenges it presented, what barriers were in Jesus' way. And so... We didn't have to look much further than visiting the ancient fortress city of Herodium, set smack dab between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. In almost the same symbolic way that today's gospel lesson puts Herod directly in conflict with the baby Jesus, the fortress city of Herodium would not have been looked by any traveler who was traveling from Jerusalem to Bethlehem or anywhere else in the reason in the region because it was put there on purpose Herod was a paranoid king and he was always trying to assert himself as king everyone including the Romans despised this man and so to stay in power Herod built all these great fortresses all over the place, all over at Caesarea, at Sebabte, in Jerusalem, over at Masada, and at Herodium, so that he would always be able to hide. He would always be able to be near a defensible refuge. Herod was the Basar al-Assad, the Kim Jong-un, the Hugo Chavez of his day. He was so deranged and paranoid, he even killed members of his own family just so that he could demand absolute loyalty from his subjects. And our story today positions Herod as a barrier directly in the way of God and the work of God's kingdom. And so immediately after our stories of Jesus' peaceful but lowly birth, he is immediately placed in conflict with the greatest political figure in his region. So much so that God sends a messenger to Joseph telling him to move the family out 
not just to another bordering town or vicinity, no, out, out of the confines of the kingdom of Judea, out of the land of God's chosen people, out of the territory of, out of the land of, of, excuse me, out of the land of God's chosen people, out of the known territory, into the land of enslavement, of captivity, of ancient pharaohs, Egypt. That land so despised by the Jewish people, so hated for all that it stands for, and yet the Son of God is being moved there for safekeeping. The family is being moved away from anything acceptable, out of anything of the range of normal, so that God's plan to redeem the world will continue. To redeem the world. That story of Jesus, as Matthew tells us, is to take our assumptions of how God will work with us in the world and instead surprise us and take us on a journey that's going to reveal an entirely new dimension on how the presence of God will work with us, will work through us and in us, bringing Emmanuel, God with us, into a completely new, revelatory perspective for the world so that God might actually live and dwell among us. And this revelation of how God will redeem removes the holy child from Bethlehem and sets him back, way back 2,000 years in Jewish history, back to the people of Egypt to find a new transformation from the history of the ancient past and to know that God will continue again to redeem not only Egypt, but free the Holy Family and deliver them back to their hometown of Nazareth and even going further. That this in turn fast forwards to our modern world and to us. That entire notion that Emmanuel, the Holy Child, Jesus is wanting to live and dwell and thrive among us. Even when we try to stand in the way and create barriers for God. In fact, our Christmas tide is a time for us, as the psalmist says, to set our hearts upon the pilgrim's way to more fully live into that hope that God has called us to more fully live into. We begin to see one another, to see our society, our cathedral community, our whole, the whole human family as longing to be drawn closer and closer into the love that God has for us, to be redeemed, to be set free, to become to be able to become fully the people we have been created to be. To become more fully the people that God has created us to be. But that requires reflection. It requires a, that we have to look within ourselves. We have to be honest, sometimes painfully honest with ourselves. Just this past week, religion writer Micah J. Murray realized that he was standing in, his own, in the way of his own relationship with God and with other people, specifically his relationship with his brother. Micah writes this, I'm done. 
I can't look at my brother in the eye anymore and say, I love the sinner but hate the sin. I can't keep drawing circles in the sand. I thought for a while I I just needed to try harder. Maybe I needed to focus more on loving the sinner and less on protesting the sin. But even if I was able to fully live up to that ideal, I'd still be wrong. I'd still be viewing him as something other, something different, not human, not friend, not Christian, not brother, sinner. I won't say it anymore. Micah realized that his own thoughts, his own assumptions about someone very near and dear to him, his thoughts were serving as barriers to a much greater fullness of life that God wants for him and for all God's children. His own ideas, his own thoughts about what is right were preventing right relationship from happening. Just like so many others in history, Micah was wanting to assert himself over so many other things and prevent the presence of the divine from fully becoming alive within him. And so we use this second Sunday of Christmas to ask ourselves, how might we be preventing the Christ child from being made known this year? Think about it. How might we be clinging on to our former selves, our 2013 selves? How might we be preventing God from giving us? How might we be preventing God from giving us a more complete portion of good news in the new year? Tough stuff. But we know who we are. And we know who God is. And even though we know from our Jeremiah reading that God is now calling us in a bold way, calling you and calling me and calling the blind and the lame and those with children and those in labor and every human being in heaven and on earth, calling us to remove the barriers and live to live more free and more fully than we can ever imagine ourselves to live, just as God guides Joseph and that holy family away from darkness into life. God calls us into life to break down those barriers of mistrust, of discomfort with one another, to remove old patterns and bad habits and to replace them with love, a love that starts again every Christmas and goes on forever, the love of a newborn child, the love of the Redeemer of the world whom God continues to put forth to a fractured and hurting world so that the world can even become closer to the heart of God. 20th century theologian Karl Barth compares living into this love, this redemption, as viewing as a a bird taking flight. He talks about God's actions as a divine procession, 
about the experience of humans and human history and God's presence walking side by side in procession. And he says that God can't do this without us, and we certainly can't do it without God. Bart writes this, evangelical theology would forfeit its object. It would belie and negate itself if it wished to view, to understand, and to describe any one moment of the divine procession in splendid isolation from others. Instead, theology must describe the dynamic interrelationships which make this procession comparable to a bird in flight in contrast to a caged bird. A bird that's in flight, free, not caged, surrounded by barriers, but free, soaring without limitations as people walk as pilgrims and set their heart on the pilgrim's way. Forward, together, side by side with God, with no limits in sight, being guided by a love that has absolutely no barriers and no limitations at all. You are the people of Trinity Cathedral. You've been blessed with amazing leaders and truly blessed by the amazing and thought-filled work and steadfastness and love by having the Reverend Canon Mark Sullivan as your interim dean. You have known many good times. Yes, you have. But you've also, many of you have also experienced the fires. You've seen the changes. You've had your world turned upside down so many times and yet you continue on. You model real transformation, real community real awareness of one another and you insist you insist on living more fully into that spirit of love and adoption adoption that the letter to the ephesians mentions to us today yes to live in a way as adopted sons and daughters of god that we are seen by our beloved creator as an icon as a window into a greater reality that like the Christ child, we too are seen as fully redeemed, beloved, cherished as the very children of the living God in the exact same way that God sees Jesus. As your new dean, I look forward to getting to know each one of you and to see your hopes and your dreams and how you go on the pilgrim's path on the journey. And I want to see how your hearts are paving a new highway for our God. We're going to experience so many blessings that are too numerous to count, but the motion is set in place today. And so as we embark on our journey, in this new year of new hopes and new dreams and new promises, we can rest more confidently in a God who guides us out away from King Herod, 
a God that leads us into places unknown, a God who's going to restore us, return us, redeem us, and love us into a way of living that's greater than anything we can ever imagine. Because during Christmas, we are given Emmanuel, God with us. And living as the community of Trinity Cathedral, as a people now who are free to fly, to take off, to soar in perfect formation, side by side, together, into that life with God. That, my friends, is very good news indeed.